Welcome back, and thanks for joining us to another thrilling episode, an invasive lore episode of the Wild Edible World podcast. Wild and crazy episode. I'm just one of your hosts, and this episode, well, I'm Michael, but this episode, you can also call me the Olive Eater Peter. And I am Silverberry Steve. Welcome to episode Autumn Olive. Yep, it's one of our uh, favorite invasive plants. I don't know, it's a really delicious, uh, really abundant berry. Um, the berry is edible and wonderful. If something has to be invasive, this is definitely the one that, that, I, that I'll let slide. Yeah, definitely. It's abundance, it's flavor, it really kind of makes it worth it. It's kind of unstoppable. So, what can we do? But enjoy it! Exactly, it's here. It's not going anywhere. Just enjoy it. Just let the boy sleep in your bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if this episode does seem a little different to you, uh, Steve and I are going at this boy band style, sharing a microphone. Two boys, one mic. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. And, and like one mic. Oh, uh, I am uh, one mic. Yeah, My name is Mike. one mic. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, let's start off with uh, what this plant looks like. Um, well, okay, wait, no, let's let's talk about, like, okay, our event. for Everybody, thanks for coming out to the Botany and Brews event at Bubble House. It was really cool. Um, it was just a pretty short one-hour presentation. You got free beer. If you missed out, you're kind of a dork. Yeah, shout-out to Cassie. Shout-out to Cassie. Shout-out to Nathan. Yeah, there were a couple cool folks that stopped by. Our Esposas as well, of course. Yes, of course. So, okay, now we can move on to the plant. Um, so from the ground up, okay, wait, wait, no, the most, I think the most identifiable feature of this plant, what was the first thing that you noticed, Steve? The silver foliage. Okay, great. I think so too. It is definitely this like bright silver underside that these leaves have. Um, they're pretty small leaves, right? Mm -hmm. Like a couple inches. And, uh, they have like, it's brown bark, but you have, uh, they're round a couple inches long and they're kind of narrow. And then whenever you flip them over, they're going to be bright white. And then on the top, it's kind of like this matte, almost cloudy green. Like, it wasn't a solid green, and it wasn't shiny at all. Yeah, not at all. It's just, it's, it's yeah, it's like a matte silver. It looks like something from, like, I don't know, like a burning bush, like Lord of the Ringsy type Oh, my God, yeah. Thing. Yeah, definitely some sort of Lothorian um, yeah. elven plant or something that they would wrap Lembus bread in or whatever. Um, so beyond that, we have, uh, moving further to the tree, the bark is kind of brown. So it's a reddish brown. It almost has like a br blistery looking texture to it. But on the young growth, like on the branches with the leaves on it, um, it's just going to look pretty smooth, standard brown. And it grows in kind of a shrubby, um, shrubby, it's more of a shrubby tree. So it doesn't grow really tall. You're not going to, it's not going to be competing with like the oaks or hickory trees or anything. It's going to get at max probably uh, 10, 12 feet. I didn't look up the stats on that, but just judging on my experience and what I can see right in front of me, because we are bringing this show to you as usual, as outside as we can in the middle of um, one of our na natural areas here in Chicago suburbs of Illinois. And I can see in the distance here, an autumn olive shrub, about like three peaks sticking out of the, the goldenrod here. And I would say maximum 10 feet tall for that one. I would say the tallest one we saw today, yeah, you're right, like 10, 12 feet. I was going to be a little generous and say 12, but yeah, I think 10 is probably better. 
Um, but yeah, they don't get that tall, so they're pretty noticeable, and they do like they enjoy the full bright sunlight of prairies. So they are a, classified as an invasive plant, and that is because they um, easily take advantage of some of these areas, natural areas um, that we have abundant here in Illinois, such as these prairies. So you're going to find them getting full sun exposure. You're not going to find them in the tree cover towards the forest. You're going to find them out in the sun, almost solitary. They're going to kind of be growing away from everything else almost because they don't really need any sort of relationships to survive. They just kind of are like having all their needs met in one place. So they're just thriving all alone, which I kind of admire them for. Yeah, just do your thing out in the middle of your field, uh, on the middle of your goldenrod, just being all nutritious and delicious, you know? I'm not an invasive plant hater, <laughs> you know? I understand that there is work and responsibility that needs to be taken care of, but uh, at the same time, um, can't change the world by ourselves, really, you know? Yeah, I've, I feel like if, if they pull their own weight, uh, they can stick around, you know? Yeah! I mean? and, and, and this plant definitely does. Sweep the floor a little... Uh, you know, toss a few berries our way. Just do the dishes, bro. Yeah. Just do the dishes. Boy, if I, have, I mean, that's not the <laughs> only time I've heard that. But yeah, this, uh, um, that's how the shrub looks in general. So, but it also produces these uh, really cool flowers. So these flowers during springtime are also they're silver and like almost shiny. Like they have an interesting like guild or texture to them, and they hang down like a bell. So they're long, and they have edges to them. I think they're square-like. So, yeah, they hang, they have a stem, and they open up, and then they they, they look like a, I don't know, a bell. I don't know how else yeah. really to ex, ex, explain it. It's not as bellflower as you would think of as a bellflower, but it's just like a bunch of tiny little Christmas lights or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they smell amazing, Steve. Yeah, they would be really fruit. interesting. Oh, yeah, wait. I think you've, you have smelled them before. The flowers, but not, I've never had the fruit. Okay. Yeah. So those flowers, if successfully pollinated, it is dioecious plants, so it does need both male and female plants to be in the same area to produce fruit. But uh, that is usually pretty possible. Although we saw, how many trees did we see and how many had fruit? So we probably saw like six and only one had fruit, right? Yes. So there's your odds pretty easily right there. That was all really young growth in, you know, the suburbs, again, of Chicago. We have a pretty well-maintained forest preserve system Mm -hmm. so i would imagine those plants have been pretty well managed and these were pretty young plants most of them weren't of fruit bearing age so only maybe a couple years old um they are indigenous to japan and asia the himalayas um they spread like nuts yeah so that's why it's never much of an issue to have a male and a female um too close just how, many, apart, yeah, yeah. just how many berries you can fit on one tree. I mean, that's that's going to make it easy for it to spread. I mean, just standing here. So we're at kind of a cross-section yeah. of of three trails. And I believe maybe over there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, see there's, there's one yeah. right there. There's right. another. I mean, there's the ones you pointed out earlier. I think yeah. there's one right behind here, possibly. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're all over the place. They are. Um, and, and in most cases, if you saw that, if you're standing in one spot and you see that many uh, invasive things, you're like, ah, shit. But um, in this case, I mean, there, there's so many benefits from this plant, man. We'll, we'll get into the benefits later. I think we'll save the, the goodies for the second half. But, like, as far as, like, just, just more, more stuff, um, yeah. Yeah, so the berries are, like, are, you know, probably my favorite part of the plant. As delicious as it does smell, the berries are, you know, what I kind of selfishly focus on. And so they're this really interesting kind of uh, 
they look kind of like a oh I don't know they're dimpled at the top and the bottom and then they're kind of bulbously round but they're only as big as your and they can get at max the size of my pinky nail which is probably like a quarter of an inch so they're pretty small berries but they have a pretty good fruit to seed ratio and the most interesting thing I think about them is that they have these like silver dots speckling the outside of the fruit so it's this like gorgeous ruby red fruit with these like white spots on the outside and you can feel the spots too i mean they don't like come off texturally on your tongue whenever you eat the berry but whenever you see them and you can feel the berry you can feel those little spots and it the spot density changes from tree to tree too so I was, one of the things i was going to show you with that great uh the um, jar full of berries that I had was how different they were from tree to tree. I had some like really big berries that barely had any speckles at all. And then there were some equally big berries that had just had tons of speckles. And the ones with more speckles, don't hold me to this, but I think they're more tart. I think they're a little bit more sour and I like that. Okay, well I'm absolutely willing to uh, go through those experiments with you. Yeah. Seeing several different things. Yeah, when we get back to the home base. Sure. Um, so that's what the tree looks like. That's what the berry looks like. Uh, where it grows around. And yeah, again, about it being an invasive plant, it can be a real issue in some areas. It's not too much of an issue here. I still feel pretty liberal about taking as much of it as I want because of uh, just the nature of invasive things. But as we're seeing here, even though we can point out four or five of these different shrubs, it's still surrounded by native species of goldenrods, native species of oaks. I mean, it's still, there's still, it's not gonna break the forest here. Not that, you know, doesn't. Yeah, it, it definitely doesn't seem like they're dominating. No, you know? they're not that invasive. They're, they're, they're semi-aggressive. And again, depending on the location, they can be more aggressive. And, so. and they're not like, they're not bad for any other plants here. They're actually good for them. Yeah. They're, they're uh, they fit, they fix atmospheric nitrogen in the soil. And, so yeah. And birds do sweet, eat, man. birds do eat them. Oh, so that's sure. how they are spread. So they, they don't have necessarily, they don't necessarily not have any predators here, which is why like invasive species are usually a problem because no, nothing knows how to eat them. But there are tons of things that know how to eat them here. So they're not, they're not all that bad if you ask me. Um, with that, should we close out our first half and yeah, so. take a break, move on to the nutrients and fun ways we've used it and what they taste like? And Yeah, let's go see if there's any fruit in any of these Yeah, we, we're, we're going to check some of those and we'll come back. So um, thanks for listening and write and review us on your podcast listening of choice. And uh, you guys are all. Yeah, shout out to all of you. Thank you for coming back and joining us back on the Wild Edible World Podcast. I am Olive Eater Peter. And Silver Betty Steve. And I, this is kind of weird, but we really missed you guys while we were gone. <laughs> we were just thinking about it the whole time. Yeah, we were like, man, I wonder what they're doing right now. Yeah. During this break, besides listening to our cheesy ad. 
Driving, eating, working. There's so many things you could be doing right now. Boggles the mind. So, yeah. we did a little bit of, of, a, of a walk. Yeah, we took literally a 30-second walk in one direction, and I just need to confess that uh, I've been taking a little easy on Autumn Olive. I do have a little bit of a bias. I like the fruit very much. He's got a little crush. I so. have a little crush on Autumn Olive. Okay, so back off, guys. <laughs> I understand that it is indeed pretty, pretty definitely invasive, so... Yeah, after doing about uh, maybe a total of three minutes of walkabout here, uh, we ran into no fewer than 20 bushes, shrubs, and... Easily. Man, there's a, there's a lot of them. They're pretty invasive. Uh, man, but think about all that nitrogen going back into the soil. Yeah! <laughs> well, and as soon as they come of age, all the berries! But, uh, yeah, and then there's even more bushes, and then, I mean, that's kind of... The idea of what invasive is so definitely if you have that in your area address it or maybe volunteer for your local river cleanups and um, forest preserve organizations to help um, rid the forests of invasive plants such as this no matter how delicious they are but in the meantime <laughs> you can enjoy these berries so we'll uh Ease into the second half, talking about um, some of its nutritional benefits. Just have a quick wash over of the vitamins and minerals. So we're talking vitamin A, C, and E. Um, lots of vitamin C. You can taste it when you eat the berry. It's like got that vitamin C tang. But it also has phosphorus, magnesium, calcium, potassium, iron, and then a couple of essential fatty acids as well. So a lot of people do call this a super berry. I don't, uh, don't really like adhering to those kinds of terms. I think that's kind of a bit woo-woo. Um, <laughs> but if you are familiar with like gummy berries, G-O-U-M-I, uh, those are pretty similar in shape and flavor and nutrition, as well as super, super berry regard. They do have 17, per, 17 times the uh, lycopene than ripe tomatoes, which is crazy because yeah. I thought tomatoes were like, you know, on the top of that list. And I guess per weight, like you're probably not going to eat, like you can eat a whole tomato, but you're probably not going to eat that weight of autumn unless you're you. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. But there are ways that you can do that by like making it into fruit leather, you know, and just sure. like if, I mean, the way I do it, I don't combine it with apple at all. I just do it straight berries. So, um... You really, if you eat one roll of that, then you probably are getting about a tomato's worth of lycopene. And then just a, just a couple more things, more of I guess uh, uh, researchy type things that that aren't aren't quite out yet. The flowers are used uh, as a cardiac tonic for heart health, and they also uh, have been used as treatments for coughs. And the oil from the seeds are used to treat afflictions in the lungs. Oh wow! Yeah, autumn olives. Uh, have been or have are being studied as a food capable of reducing the incidence of several types of cancers, prostate, cervix, uh, gastrointestinal tract, possibly ovarian. So it's crazy, man. These guys, these guys are they're invasive, but they they're they're giving back. They're they're trying. I mean, absolutely. Every plant has a purpose, you know. Just and even if it doesn't have a purpose for us, there's something that um, it's providing or that um, we just don't know about it yet. I, I think. Um, I want to also just kind of um, extra clarify where you can find w where this plant is found. So we discussed like, yeah, you can find it in Asia, Europe, but you can also find it in Australia, 
It um, occupies a major portion of the eastern half of the United States, as well as Washington, Oregon, and Montana have observations on the western half. So again, yeah, we're kind of a little bit biased in our um, plant content. We tend to choose plants that are like in the eastern half of the United States or North America because it up it is up in Canada as well, just on again the eastern portion. But um, you know, it also is found worldwide, so it's still great. So let's talk a little bit about the flavor. I think it tastes a bit like grapefruit. So it's like these little tiny like berry grapefruits with a little bit of cherry mixed in almost, like just a little bit of darkness in there. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, I like, I mean, we had a couple different, we had one that was just a little bit smaller of a berry, a little more dense, and that one I feel like was more stringent. And then we had one oh, yeah. that was maybe a little bit more towards the, the overripe side. And that one was just more sweet. and But, yeah, I think that's an accurate. Uh, it was really good. This is my first time. I'd, I'd never had one before. We are out here walking around uh, before we shot this or are recording this episode. And, uh, yeah, I like it. I love it. It's one of my favorite berries. Um, it's one of my wife's favorite um, fruit roll-ups that we make. Um, and it's also um, just uh, got a variety of uses that you can use for it. So... I love it because of the seed is non-toxic, so it's a really easy way to use, like, incorporate wild flour. So, and by flour, I mean F-L-O-U-R. So, basically, you're just, like, powderizing dried berries and mixing it 50-50 with your typical standard self-rising all-purpose flour. And um, then you can really incorporate some of these, like, super awesome flavors into your casual baked goods. Uh, like I had a autumn olive. I, okay, so I learned this mostly at the Midwest Harvest Wild Harvest Festival that I was at. <clears throat> excuse me, last weekend, and that had to do with uh, a class with Ellen Zakos, where we did exactly that. We ground up a couple handfuls of thoroughly dried autumn olives, seeds and all, and just mixed it fifty-fifty with uh, a muffin recipe with all-purpose flour, and it just gave it this, like, awesome, sour taste. It was amazing. Changed my life. I'm going to be, like, drying and powderizing all my berries now. Like a like a faux sourdough? Uh, no, it was, like, uh, just mixed it right in. So it was just part of the recipe. So instead of, like, two cups of flour, we did one cup, um, one cup autumn olive, one cup regular flour, and then just baked with it. But the the um the flavor that the that the seeds oh imparted. was it like did it taste like sour no I think sourdough has a little bit more of a funk to it like it's a darker sour this was much more of a fruity lighter sour like it was pretty obvious like ooh this is it's like almost tropical kind of cranberry y I would say I think yeah I think I actually a more well known comparable because nobody knows what i'm saying whenever i say a gummy berry have you ever heard of a gummy <laughs> berry like no apparently i'm the only person that's ever heard of a freaking gummy berry so i think a really good comparison would be cranberries but not like so sour but it's it's kind of cranberry uh j- just a disclaimer gummy berries are what michael called cranberries as a kid <laughs> no i'm just i'm just joking he's lying but uh slander no it's um i think again uh, it's so Further on how much of a variety of these plant this berry has, you can use it as a flower, you can use it um, as a ferment and wine and everything. I use it as a fruit roll-up. It dehydrates really well. It freezes really well. Um, I think 
it will ferment really well. I've never personally made wine from it, but I can tell you from just leaving a bowl, large bowl of berries out on the counter for like literally 24 hours, these bad boys want to ferment. These guys want to be boozy. They have a good amount of sugar in them. And I, cause I was nibbling through them before I was like pouring a bunch into a jar to bring to this recording. And they were definitely like, yeah, mm, yum, a sour one. And the next one would be kind of squishy. And then it was like, oh, that's like, damn, that's almost like one of those whiskey chocolates or whatever, you know, where you go like, you bite in and you can just like, it's not like that boozy, but you can tell there's something going on in there. Yeah, I, I, I like that apples do that same thing, like like similar to how apples do it. You'll find an apple on the tree that's even gone past mealy, yes. but it hasn't, st- hasn't, you know, somehow has escaped the birds and the, and the bugs and whatnot, and you'll take a bite of it, and it's almost like, oh, that's almost cider. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, everybody knows, uh, everybody's seen those viral videos of squirrels getting just absolutely ripped and uh, falling off trees because they ate some fermented fruit or whatever. So that's part of why I love the natural world, is that a lot of these uh, ingredients just kind of want to go through this process naturally, and we just have to kind of, like, nudge them along, like... Like a kid getting on their first bike or something. All you got to do is just be right behind them, making sure they don't fall. And they're pretty much going to do what they want to do anyway. Um, And you get a delicious, wonderful product. And you can also help the environment out as well, you know. That's kind of why I call this my top one favorite berry. Because not because it is invasive, but there are things about it that (laughs) are parallel that I do appreciate. And yeah, so it's probably one of my favorite berries. What do you think? Uh, you haven't had it enough, I'm still right? new. Yeah, yeah, I'm still new. I'm the new kid in town. But I got to make you some baked goods or something. Get you absolutely. some muffins. Absolutely. Oh, I would love some muffins. Yeah. And then also super excited to like dehydrate some, use them in tea, you know? Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. I should have done that with elderberries this year too, but I'm trying to dehydrate a lot of autumn olives. Um, and making them in tea, for some reason, just kind of like went right over my head. Mm. So I think that's a really good idea. I'm definitely doing that. Um, that brings us to the close of our episode, methinks. Um, I think we have a really good episode coming to you next week, because this weekend I am going to be collecting as many pawpaws as I can get my grubby little hands on, and, uh, as well as a few other things, so we should have maybe a couple pretty interesting episodes for you next. Where was that pawpaw festival? I saw that there was a... Uh. So there was a pawpaw festival in Ohio. That is like the kind of national Ohio pop or the pawpaw fest. My my good pal Daisy Daisy Alstone from the uh, from the the uh, Song of Ice and Fire convention that I go to every year. She was there. And oh wow! Yeah, it looked rad. It was so cool. Yeah, I've seen tons of pictures. I wasn't able to go because I had you know prior engagements. And then, uh, you know, can't be going all to the most fun, to, mo- to all of the most fun festivals all of the time. I have to let some other people have some fun once in a while, too. No, they had all sorts of, there was like, I think the winning dish was a pawpaw green curry or something like that. Like they had a food competition, too, which I always really appreciate. Not that I ever really compete. I like participating in eating all the food. But I would have loved to have been there. So stay tuned for next week. Hope you guys will join us then. Uh, until then, remember that you can find all the best food for free. Trailside, curbside, and low tide. I have been one of your hosts, Michael. 
And I'm Steve. It's always a pleasure, folks. Thank you for hanging out. See you next time.